The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks getting a boost on the back of fresh comments from the Fed about raising rates. Now, that momentum looking to carry over into today's session. Meanwhile, you got shares in NVIDIA taking a dive on the back of quarterly results as the chipmaker Powerhouse warns of a looming slowdown. Shares of Twitter are taking off after Elon Musk boosts his commitment to add the social media company to his portfolio, the latest on that tech takeover saga. And the price you pay for energy and so much more set to potentially pop even further, believe it or not as natural gas prices climb to 14-year highs, and those sky-high energy prices, part of the broader inflation problem, hitting the wallets of all Americans right now. CNBC heads out to the heartland for a closer look at the key economic crossroad. It is Thursday, May 26th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and how your money stands right now in this particular moment. You can see the futures are indicating a relatively calm opening bell. The Dow Jones is implied higher by just three or lower rather by just three points. The S&P lower by about four and a Nasdaq lower by 55. A much, much bigger improvement than where we were just about an hour or so ago. This is all after the three major indices notched modest gains yesterday. At this point, the Dow, the S&P and Nasdaq are all positive for the week and poised to snap their ongoing weekly losing streaks, as you can see here. Taking a look at the bond market on the back of those latest Fed meeting minutes, the 10-year currently, you can see, ticking just a slight bit lower in terms of yield, higher in price, 2.72% the last trade for the 10-year Treasury note, the two-year note yield a little below 2.47%. In the oil market, West Texas Intermediate U.S. benchmark prices are currently sitting, you can see, higher by just about 76 cents, 111.09 the last trade there, up about two-thirds of 1%. Ice Brent crude world benchmark futures up about one half of one percent, 65 cents, 114 spot 68. And then nat gas prices again up about three quarters of one percent as well. Perhaps with the energy story right now, natural gas is the key. Surging above that nine dollar level, its highest level since 2008. We are going to dive into what's behind that big spike in nat gas prices coming up later in the show. And one of your morning's big movers is NVIDIA. Those shares are falling on the back of first quarter results after the chipmaker offered a light forecast for the current quarter. NVIDIA also announcing it will slow down hiring as it grapples with what it calls a challenging macroeconomic environment. NVIDIA shares right now you can see responding in kind, down about six and a quarter percent to $159.11, and that's off the worst levels of the session. Let's now go worldwide. Our own Rosanna Lockwood is in London with the latest there with the early trade at the with the look at the early trade, at least in Europe. It looks a little bit more mixed. 
maybe generally positive. Rosanna, what are you seeing? Yeah, that's pretty much right, Dom. Well, I'm going to pick up on that energy crisis theme you mentioned because that is what is propping up a lot of these shares today, these higher oil prices and the traditional energy companies. Here in London, you've got the FTSE 100 flirting with the flat line. Just as I said, they're turning red. The FTSE MIB in Italy doing about the same. The Cacahont in France, the DAX in Germany up just a bit stronger, but not the kind of strength that we've seen earlier in the week, of course, wrapping up these Davos meetings in Switzerland. And the FTSE 100 heavily minor exposed as well, and that's been a sector under pressure of late. Also expecting to hear later today speculation the UK government could be talking about a windfall tax on these energy companies that have made enormous profits. The government seeking to help the most vulnerable households in the cost of living crisis. Let's give you a look, though, whilst we're here at the USD ruble, because interesting things happening in Russia at the moment. The ruble has been very strong. You don't see it so much here. You've got the dollar strong, about 4.58% against the Russian ruble. However, the authorities in Russia are having to loosen capital controls because the surging price of the ruble is hurting exporters. Also happening in Russia, we've had the central bank cutting interest rates for the third time in the last three months, down from that 20% spike down to 11% as well. And also, could be a historic bond default coming, Dom. I know you'll be keeping an eye on that. All things macro in focus right now. Rosanna, thank you very much for that. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Dom. Twitter's board of directors facing a shakeup. Silver Lake co-CEO Egan Durbin not receiving enough shareholder votes at Twitter's annual meeting. How many times have you ever seen that happen? So he did not receive enough votes to be reelected to the board. A Twitter spokesperson telling CNBC that Durbin has, quote, tendered his resignation from the board, which has not decided whether to accept it. It should be noted that Durbin is a longtime business associate and backer of Elon Musk. Separately, Twitter reaching a $150 million settlement with the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission over alleged misrepresentation of its data privacy practices between 2013 and 2019. Meanwhile, the SEC unveiling new rules to prevent misleading claims by ESG funds. The proposed rules, which would also enhance disclosures by the funds, come amid growing worries that some funds are looking to profit from the rising popularity of ESG investing by misleading shareholders over what's in their holdings. The proposed rules would be subject to public feedback. I've got to imagine, Don, there's going to be a lot of feedback on that. We've already heard so many people thinking that this is an issue that people gain. And Apple reportedly plans to keep production of its iPhone flat this year. According to Bloomberg, the company is asking suppliers to assemble around 220 million of the devices, the same as last year. The reported move comes as Apple faces an increasingly challenging smartphone uh, market. A separate report yesterday suggested development of its newest iPhone is facing delays due to China's COVID lockdowns. Dom? Add all that to the idea that they are going to raise wages for employees and you get a little bit of that interesting dynamic playing out right now. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you later on in the show. Back to the markets now and the Federal Reserve showing increasing urgency for raising interest rates to tackle that high inflation problem in this country. Minutes from the central bank's meeting earlier this month showing interest in rising in raising rates high enough to slow economic growth deliberately, deliberately to combat that high price spike. For more, let's bring in Ben Emmons, managing director of global macro strategy at Medley Global Advisors. 
And maybe this is no surprise. We, the Fed only has two jobs by its mandate, right? Its charter. It has to control prices and make them stable, and it has to work towards maximum employment. You could argue the second one is getting better. The first one is the problem. How aggressive do they have to be? Good morning, Tom. Well, it looks like that the markets just continue to say that stay on the course of timing. Don't actually pause at this moment because, as you're saying, price stability is a key component now to the economy. If you don't get that under control, then we do slip into a really difficult situation of probably a recession with high inflation, which we then call stagflation. Now, the, the minutes were quite clear. They want to assess after the July meeting what they're going to do from there. But it did indicate, though, that they have to go to likely restrictive setting, as they say. In other words, the funds rate gets higher than what they think is the neutral rate. And that, I think, appeased the markets yesterday into today. But we have to see more follow through. So we're a pretty critical moment here now, Dom. We have like important data ahead of us today and into next week. Think of claims and spending data and employment data. And that will give the market real reading on what's happening on the ground and how fast is the Fed has to go from here in order to get that price uh, stability really under control. How different is this particular tightening cycle with, with money supply? Same or different than other tightening cycles that you've kind of witnessed or studied in the past? Should investors be fearful of a recession? I think just from face value, we think economic slowdown. You should be fearful. But it seems as though there's a case being made that if you do see a recession and it's a, and it's a mild one, that investors maybe should take some comfort in it. Interesting proposition, because indeed that's different from previous timing cycles. That <clears throat> recession is viewed as it's sort of an, a, let's say, antidote to inflation just enough so that as inflation then does come off, the recession is so mild that we actually don't even know that we were in one, right? And so I think what Marcus are trying to say is that we have to time faster, quicker than we've used to in the past. The previous two cycles were like very measured pace. So that's very different this time. On the other hand, you know, you do top out at a, at a level of the funds rate that's enough to get inflation really down. And this is where we're still struggling a bit, I think, you know, because like you say, you do risk that you end up in a recession by keeping policy too tight. So I think we're at this moment that the market has judged that this is three, three and a half percent on the funds rate as a maximum to get inflation really credibly down. And that may hopefully lead to just a mild recession. The equity markets, however, have reacted pretty negative as of late. So there's just simply a lot of uncertainty about that scenario, the mild recession. Ben, Ben, before we let you go, uh, you you mentioned that kind of upper range that you think could really put a put the brakes on inflation. What exactly is your expectation over at Medley with regard to what Fed policy will have the Fed funds at by the end of the year? Yeah, we think that they're going to a restrictive uh, setting. So that does mean that you're getting above what the Fed thinks is neutral, around two and a half percent. So you do are closer to this three percent level. Maybe what Bollard is saying up to that his level, you know, like three and a half. So that is something you have to really keep in mind because the inflationary pressure is just too high. So a two percent Fed funds rate is likely not going to cut it to get inflation really down. It's likely going to have to be a higher rate. Okay, higher rates than two and a half percent. Ben Emmons, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. When we come back on the show, your morning's big money movers, including trouble in the cloud. Details on what has shares of Snowflake 
diving in the pre-market trade. Plus, a number of retailers set to report quarterly results, giving the latest look on just how strong the sector and the consumer really is. Stacey Woodlitz is here to break down what to watch. And mission accomplished. Boeing finding success with a key flight by one of its reusable spacecrafts. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We've got three stock stories for you this morning. First up is Snowflake. The cloud data storage company reporting reporting a smaller first quarter loss as revenues beat forecasts, but shares are tumbling as its second quarter outlook is below estimates. Snowflake saying macro issues are impacting customer activity, although the first two weeks of May were very strong. Nonetheless, those shares down 15% right now. Stock number two is Nutanix. Those shares diving more than 30% pre-market. The cloud software and storage company posting better than expected third quarter results, but it gave a weak fourth quarter outlook. Nutanix citing supply chain delays with its hardware partners and higher than expected attrition among its sales representatives. Those shares, again, down a third of their value in just the pre-market. And then stock number three is Williams-Sonoma. First quarter results for earnings topping forecasts on higher sales at Pottery Barn and West Elm outlets. Also improved profit margins. Same store sales rising 9% overall with West Elm up 13% and Pottery Barn 14% higher. It's the latest sign some shoppers are not pulling back on buying home goods even in the face of higher prices in this inflationary environment. Now, let's stay on those shoppers, by the way, because fears around consumer spending are rocking the market overall. We've got earnings from Macy's, American Eagle Outfitters, Costco and Gap stores all out later on today, just in time as investors recover from last week's blows from Target and Walmart. Remember those. So again, we ask the same question. Is the market in a bottoming process right now, given some of the action we're seeing, especially in retail? Let's bring in Stacey Woodless to talk more about this. She is the president of SW Retail Advisors. I mean, Stacey, we often turn to you for that pulse of the consumer, not just here in America, but globally as well. Take us through what exactly the narrative is about the American consumer and will they be able to withstand what's happening right now with inflation? 
Yeah, Don, we've had a we've had a rough retail earnings season so far, and it's probably going to continue that way. And generally, what you're hearing from companies is the top line is holding up, but there's massive cost pressure. So we've seen all this margin compression. What we're also hearing is that the high end consumer is holding up much better than the low end and even trading up in some cases. You know, Chanel had great numbers. You're just talking about William Sonoma's numbers. Apparel, clearly, we are way over inventoried here, and that's where we're seeing the most problems. We saw Abercrombie, American Eagle. You're probably going to hear the same thing. The problem is brands are trying to order early to get stock because, remember, just a few months ago, nobody had any stock, and therefore, the markdown cycle has gone back to, let's say, pre-COVID. So, so, so that markdown cycle, I mean, we talk about this kind of, they, they mentioned it as a promotional environment and they have so, in the past. Are we going to expect to see a promotional environment as we head towards the summer? I'm not even looking at the kind of fall back to school season just yet, but how are these retailers tackling this and, and, and which one of them is doing it better than others? I mean, I can see the stock reactions to kind of get an idea, but in your mind, who's doing it best? So I think what you're seeing is most companies know that a lot of their stuff came in after holiday. And also, again, they they pre-ordered, ordered too much. So they're clearing. You know, Target was very upfront about it. If you go on their website, you can get a grill, 30% off, you know, all the stuff that they ordered too much of and didn't sell. So um, I think, you know, there are opportunities in retail. And you look at the stock action yesterday, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, they have 40% inventory rise when their sales are down. So you're going to see a lot of discounts, but I think you're going to see a clearing of the decks here. I think the inventory to sales ratio spread, which indicates the most markdowns are some of the highest we've seen historically. So I think we're perhaps at the moment where we're at a clear the decks moment for retail. So if it is a clear the decks moment, what exactly will investors be the most focused on? We know they'll be focused on all the metrics, but it, will it be that top line growth that we've been seeing? Will it be the profit numbers given the cost pressures? Will it be margins? What exactly is the key to this retail trade going into that fall holiday shopping season? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that, you know, we know that companies can't control the cost side of the equation of what's going on in the world right now. But we do want to see that traffic is remaining strong. And of course, top line, you know, you look at a target, their traffic was still positive. Um, So the mix is changing. We know that. We know that people were spending on stay at home and at leisure, and now they're spending more on perhaps traveling and other things. So there's going to be a shift which affects margins. But at the end of the day, I think what we're going to focus on is the overall top line number and make sure we don't hear deteriorating trends. And by the way, Dom, most companies told us that May was better than April, that they were kind of encouraged. There has been a lot of volatility, but there's been some positive signals here. All right, Stacey, before I let you go, just a few moments left. Top picks from you? I would say um, I'm still a huge fan of Williams-Sonoma. And I think Target is interesting here because, again, they're clearing the decks. That traffic is positive. They're the new modern department store. And of course, Nike, that's going increasingly DTC. So there's an organic margin story there. All right. Stacey Woodless, thank you very much. Always appreciate your thoughts. Good to see you, Dom. All right. And be sure to catch a CNBC exclusive conversation with Macy's CEO on the back of that company's results coming up later on this morning. You must watch interview 1030 a.m. Eastern time. So keep an eye out for that.
Still on deck for the show, Apple taking new steps to tackle the tight labor market. Details on how the tech giant is planning to keep its workers from jumping ship. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. The president and first lady will travel to Texas in the coming days. President Biden says he hopes to bring a little comfort to that community still grieving and in shock. The entire nation is grieving along with Uvalde, where two teachers and 19 children were murdered inside their classroom. A cargo plane carrying specialty baby formula from Europe touched down at Washington Dulles Airport. It's the second shipment in the government's Operation Fly formula. Together, they total nearly 200,000 pounds of formula for children allergic to cow's milk. Finally, after 19 seasons and more than 3,000 episodes, Ellen DeGeneres is signing off. DeGeneres announced that the show would wrap last year following allegations of a toxic work environment on set. Her final show will air today. She got some advice from the queen of daytime, Oprah, who reminded her to take some well-deserved time off. And her very first guest, Jennifer Aniston in pink, will be back for the finale, along with Billie Eilish. That's it from here, Dom. I'll send it back to you. That is a heck of a run. 19 years, for sure. Sure was. Thank you very much for those headlines. Still on deck for the show, Elon Musk looking to shore up more money to wrap up his deal to take Twitter private. The latest developments coming up that have Twitter shares taking off this morning and inflation continuing to take a bite out of Americans' bottom lines. Our own Brian Sullivan, host of this show, is in the country's heartland looking at the one key role that one waterway plays in what you pay for energy. And we are here on the banks of the mighty Mississippi River because this is one of the most critical arteries for the entire American supply chain. And coming up after the break here on Worldwide Exchange, we'll talk about how what happens here is affecting the prices of everything that you buy and how inflation is hitting the heartland. That's next. Stocks looking to keep the gains going on the back of the latest look at the Fed's rate hike policy. Futures working to keep up some of Wednesday's momentum were flat-ish in the pre-market. Chip crunch. Shares of NVIDIA sliding on the back of quarterly results as the semiconductor maker warns of troubles ahead. We will dive into those results. And shares of Twitter are taking off after Elon Musk pledges more financing to fund his $44 billion take the social media company private transaction. It's Thursday, May 26th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
Welcome back. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Thursday morning. It's right around the 5.30 a.m. Eastern time hour right here on the East Coast. Time for a check on the markets, how your money is looking right now. And futures are pointing to a very stable open. That's what we'll call it. The Dow is implied higher by just 39 points, modest on a basis level at least. The S&P 500 up by two points and the Nasdaq just down by roughly 35. So again, very modest moves right now in the pre-market trade. I should also mention that we were far worse off just a couple hours ago, so we're seeing some improvement there. Taking a look at the bond market on the back of those latest Fed meeting minutes, the 10-year Treasury note yield, benchmark-wise, is already trading right now slightly lower, 2.72% the last trade there. Uh, Also a bid for two-year Treasury notes, pushing those yields lower by roughly to around 2.47%. And then also taking a look at some of those cryptocurrency prices, Bitcoin right now, Always keeping a close eye on that 30,000 mark. It's been hovering just above or below that for the better part of a few weeks now. Bitcoin price is currently 29,050, up down about two percent rather. Ethereum prices 1834, the last trade there, down roughly six and a half percent. So generally speaking, down moves, but everybody's watching that 30,000 level for Bitcoin. Now to some of this morning's top headlines, including Elon Musk pledging more of his own money to push his buyout deal for Twitter over that finish line. And Bertha Coombs has more on that story. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Dom. Twitter shares are jumping on news that Elon Musk is committing more of his wealth to finance the $44 billion takeover deal. Regulatory filing shows that Musk's plan now includes $33.5 billion in equity up front from about up from about $27 billion. He is also no longer relying on a margin loan backed by shares of Tesla, which are down about a third since the Twitter accepted his offer last month. The filing says Musk continues to seek additional financing and is in talks with Twitter shareholders, including former CEO Jack Dorsey, about potentially holding on to their stakes following his takeover. At Twitter's annual shareholder meeting yesterday, CEO Parag Agrawal deferred questions, but says the company is proceeding with the deal. Meanwhile, Apple is increasing its compensation budget and says it will raise pay for corporate and retail workers later this year. Apple will hike the starting pay for retail employees in the U.S. from $20 to $22 an hour. The move comes after Google, Amazon and Microsoft adjusted their pay scale in recent weeks in an effort to attract and retain workers. Apple is also facing union drives at its retail stores with employees pushing for higher wages. And we have touchdown. Boeing's Starliner space capsule landing in the New Mexico desert last night, completing a six-day unmanned mission to the International Space Station. The landing is the last step of a crucial test for Boeing. NASA required the company to prove it could safely fly the vehicle to the space station and back autonomously before clearing it to fly astronauts. Dom, the Starliner would give NASA an alternative to SpaceX for carrying crew and cargo to the station. Can you imagine? I I couldn't have imagined when I was a kid watching the lunar landing that there would be competition in terms of who would provide space launches. It used to be just a monopoly, right? It was kind of just NASA and they just did their thing. And now all of a sudden there's the privatization of the industry. So Bertha, 
Now, the competition, though, I got to imagine will be good in the long term for, for an industry like this overall. Thank you very much, Bertha. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later on. Now to one of your morning's big money movers, NVIDIA. The chipmaker's first quarter results beating forecasts as it reported record gaming revenues. But shares are lower. As NVIDIA says, those sales are expected to slow this quarter. The company also saying the COVID shutdowns in China and loss of sales to Russia because of the war in Ukraine will shave half a billion dollars off its second quarter revenues. So let's talk more about those results in the broader chip sector overall. Now with Matt Bryson, senior equity analyst over at Wedbush Securities. I mean, Matt, the takeaway for me is that on balance, net net over the last 48 hours, this was not terrible for NVIDIA, despite that forecast in the pre-market trade. We're basically back to where we were at the closing bell just two days ago. What are your thoughts about the actual results and if they really do matter in terms of the long term? Yeah, Dom, I, I think you're right. I think people were concerned about gaming. Uh, NVIDIA came out and gave us a forecast where gaming is expected to be down. Uh, that's why revenues will be slightly lower next quarter. At the same time, their data center business is great, right? Their, their, their guide implies roughly 10% growth in data center. Um, I, I think at this point, it's really just people getting comfortable where the bottom is for that gaming business um, before they get more enthusiastic about NVIDIA's prospects and um, AI and the rest of the data center business again. I mean, I mean, Matt, it, it, at the end of the day, is this still a, a, a gaming company? Is, is, are we focused on that as, as the main driver, as the real kind of thesis behind owning NVIDIA? I, I mean, I remember being with, with Jensen Huang over at a supercomputer at Oak Ridge National Laboratory talking about the, the capacity for those server-type chips there and everything. But does it really come down to gaming and, and maybe, by extension, cryptocurrency? It, 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 it doesn't. I, I, I think that when you look at NVIDIA two, three, four years out, um, they are more a data center company. They are more an AI company. Um, they will be an autonomous vehicle enabler. Uh, that is where a lot of their growth is going to come. But in the near term, gaming is still important, right? It, it's still uh, roughly 40% of their revenues. Um, and, and so when there's uncertainty as whether it's going to be a, a $3 billion business, a $2.5 billion business, a $3.5 billion business, um, those are large numbers and, and they have an impact on the bottom line. Um, and, and so this is more a, a near-term blip. So if it's a near-term blip, is this still one of those companies that you would consider to be a flagship for the entire industry? I mean, we know it's the most valuable from a market cap perspective, kind of in the S&P 500. Is NVIDIA the place to be if you are a semiconductor investor right now, or are there other opportunities given the sell-off that we've seen across the entire industry? Uh, Dom, we, we have an issue on the name, and, and my concern is simply it had been valuation, um, had been exactly where is that gaming business. So everything is a worthwhile investment at the right value. Um, and, and for me, it's... At some point, NVIDIA, yes, it's it's a, a cornerstone of a portfolio. Um, there is no real risk that I can see over the next three, four years to their cornerstone data center business. Um, it's just getting comfortable that this is the right valuation uh, because this is what game's contribution to the earnings side of things is going to look like. And, and I, I'm just not there yet, comfort level, that this is the bottom of gaming. All right, Matt, so that begs the question, before we let you go, if NVIDIA is neutral, what is your favorite pick in semis? 
Um, pro- probably my, my favorite pick right now is, is AMD. And, and there it's, they face all the same headwinds that NVIDIA talked about in terms of China, in, in terms of Russia. Um, the, the difference in my mind is that because they are a share gainer in almost all of their portfolio, um, what the, the entirety of the market is doing matters less versus um, how much share can they grab. Um, and so they're, they're, they're a little bit disconnected from end markets in, in that way, whereas uh, NVIDIA doesn't quite get that, that benefit because of, of that gaming business. All right. Matt Bryson, his call, AMD. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, Matt. Thanks, Tom. All right. No matter where you live in this country, inflation is hitting all the finances of all Americans in some way, shape or form. And along the Mississippi River, in the heart of this country, the price spikes are impacting everything from the trucking business to farming. And then ultimately, of course, what you end up paying for a slew of different goods. Our own Brian Sullivan is on the ground with more on that story. This part of the country, from here in St. Louis, up the Mississippi River north to Iowa and Illinois, is a true economic crossroads of the country. Whether it's the massive truck stops on Interstate 80, hauling meat and grains and vegetables to the west and east coast, or using barges like this here on the Mississippi River to haul chemicals and fertilizers or corn, even steel and cement. When the price of things for oil and fuel and diesel fuel to power giant tugboats like this pushing those barges when they spike it is inflationary across every aspect of the supply chain everything we see from from labor to shipyard supplies to fuel to uh, decking and rigging everything we do has increased when we talk about oil and gas prices the focus is normally on things like that fuel costs but it's so much bigger than that Because natural gas goes into so many things you may not even realize. From plastics to makeup to car bodies, even some solar panels, prices go higher. Fertilizer, too. Fertilizer prices have soared in the past year. And between that, food, cooking oils, and wages, it has made it very hard on some locally owned restaurants. Our cooking oil price went up three times as much. And we thought that, wow, that's pretty unusual what are we going to do now so that's when we actually started to raise our price slightly so at peewees inflation is not a small problem and that's true with businesses everywhere with some worried they may have to shut down if prices keep going up they can't get what they need the biggest macro questions right now how long inflation can remain this high before the american economy cracks or if that has already begun to happen We are here on the banks of the mighty Mississippi to find out. All right. Thanks, Brian Sullivan. We will have much more on that story with the high prices hitting the heartland tonight as a part of CNBC's big special program, Inflation USA. You'll want to tune in for that. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. We're not done talking about price spikes, though. Coming up, Nat Gass climbing to the highest level in 14 years Pippa Stevens is here to break down what's behind that jump and what it could mean for what you pay for energy. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. For this month's sectornomics look, we are taking a look at the S&P 500 real estate sector, which tracks a wide range of stocks from cell tower managers to mall owners and residential property companies. Now, so far this year, the sector is trading 
roughly in line, we'll call it, with the S&P 500 overall. It's down roughly 16 percent in line with the market, as you can see here. But we wanted to take a look at how the rising interest rate story plays with this particular group, because after all, real estate and interest rates are very tied. So the data analysts over at YCharts, this is a company that's focused on market data and analytics, they took a look specifically at how the sector overall trades with respect to U.S. mortgage rates over the last 10 years. Now, as you can see here from this chart from YCharts, the Dow Jones U.S. Real Estate Index, which tracks many of these names in the real estate sector, has an inverse relationship with the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, meaning as rates rise, the sector has generally lost steam, and then vice versa. Given the diversity of industries within that sector, though, a number of factors are likely at play here, including that relationship, of course, between Treasury yields and the stock market with above-average dividend payers, many of which are in this real estate sector. They turn to those investors for these real estate payments. But as we watch mortgage rates continue to rise and anticipate future moves of the Federal Reserve, we could start to see more investors rethink some of that exposure to real estate overall. So certainly a lot of stuff at play with regard to real estate, a sector we'll keep a close eye on given the rate environment. Now turning to commodities. Those prices are surging with oil right now around $110 per barrel. Nat gas, by the way, crossing the $9 mark hitting the highest in more than a decade, almost a decade and a half now. Pippa Stevens is here with the numbers and the impact on energy stocks. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Dom. These moves are eye-popping, especially for natural gas. It hit $9.40 per MMBTU, which is the highest price since August 2008. Now, to put this move in context, at the beginning of the year, it was around $3.60, so it's up more than 160% for 2022. Now, much of this surge came after Russia invaded Ukraine, which has roiled global energy markets and made U.S. liquefied natural gas more attractive, but also more expensive. And for the month, it's up 24 percent, putting it on track for a third straight month with a more than 20 percent gain. Now, turning to oil, WTI is holding above $110 per barrel and is on track for a sixth straight positive month for the first time since 2011. And this has translated to big gains for energy stocks, with the sector hitting the highest since November 2014. It's the top group this week, month and year, rising 54 percent for 2022. Occidental, Cotera, Marathon Oil and Halliburton among the top performers. Now, despite this big surge, Wall Street analysts say there's still value to be found. Barclays noting yesterday that due to record free cash flow, large cap names could lead the market for years to come. But in the meantime, Dom, this commodity price surge is a big part of the decades high inflation we're seeing all around us. All right. So, Pippa, I mean, we know just how strong the momentum has been. It's impossible to miss the huge surge in these kind of gasoline prices. Is there any relief coming at all for people at the pump? I drive nearly 100 miles a day. I fill up multiple times a week. I feel it. Yeah, you would know better than anyone. And we got another record high today, $4.60 on the national average, according to AAA. Of course, some states paying much more, including California, which is above 6 bucks. And usually, demand destruction might have kicked in at this point. But with all the pent-up demand coming out of the pandemic, people are still expected to hit the road. And AAA is forecasting nearly 40 million Americans 
hitting the road uh, this this weekend for the big Memorial Day weekend. And of course, that kicks off the summer driving season. So we're not really seeing that type of demand destruction yet. And some experts are saying that's the only thing at this point that will bring prices down. So certainly Americans are feeling uh, uh, the price increase across the country right now. All right. Pippa Stevens with that big gasoline trade ahead of the Memorial Day weekend. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. On deck for the show, stocks looking to keep up the momentum as the major indices look to put a stop to their weekly losing streak. Decatur Capital's Degas Wright lays out the stocks on his radar right now. And during May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. As we head to break, here is Khan Academy founder Sal Khan. My message to my kids and everyone in their generation is own your heritage, but also own your Americanness. The most American thing you can do is bring your culture and help it become part of the broader American culture. I'm unabashedly an American exceptionalist. Is this country perfect? No, but I do think it has given more diverse folks more opportunity than ever before. And I think it's you know, more on a journey to becoming even better over the next few generations. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and welcome back to Your Money in the Markets. After yesterday's modest bounce higher, futures are indicating a relatively stable opening bell. The Dow Jones is higher by roughly 90 points. The S&P higher by about 8 to 9 points. And the Nasdaq down by just 7 a real improvement, by the way, over where we were earlier in the overnight session. Now, if you take a look at some of the market dynamics in play, maybe no surprise that given the market sell-off, there's been a huge focus on some of the less economically sensitive and more defensive sectors overall. One of the reasons why the utility sector and the consumer staple sectors are two of the best-performing sectors on a relative basis versus the S&P 500 16% decline No surprise, I didn't even put energy up there, but we all know just how well energy is done. Not necessarily defensive, but still, utilities and consumer staples a big focus. Also a focus these days on so-called quality factors. Investors looking for things like free cash flow, strong balance sheets, the ability to weather the storm. For that reason, many of the stocks that are considered those high-quality type stocks and the ETFs that track them, in this case here, the Spider MSCI Strategic Factors ETF, ticker QUS, are outperforming the overall market. You can see here that gap has kind of widened just since about April or so over the last several weeks and a couple of months here. And then with that in mind, some of the high-quality names that are often talked about have been names in technology like Microsoft and Apple, yet they have been underperformers. If you take a look at the picture overall, Apple on a year-to-day basis down 22%. Same thing for Microsoft very much underperforming the S&P 500, even though they are considered by many investors to be so-called high-quality stocks with very strong balance sheets and ability to generate cash flows. So joining me now is Decatur Capital founder and CEO Degas Wright. He's also a CNBC contributor. Now, Degas, quality matters at this stage when markets are unstable. Apple and Microsoft are some of the highest quality stocks out there. What's the disconnect and how do investors navigate that? Yeah, what you want to do, Dom, in this market is that you want to identify companies that have pricing power. Uh, Microsoft, Apple, those companies that you mentioned, you want to look at their gross margin or gross profit, which is revenue minus cost of sales divided by revenue. Because 
We have we talked a lot about inventory, and inventory is part of that cost of sales. So you want to see companies that have good relative gross profits and gross profits that are increasing. So if that's the case, what types of companies do that? If you look at companies like Microsoft and Apple, they supposedly have some of those qualities, yet they are being punished more than other parts of the market. If you're looking for quality and you're looking for those outperformers, what factors and what characteristics then do you want to find? And then what stocks are fitting in terms of those factors? Great question. You want to identify those companies that have increasing earnings forecasts for, say, 2022. Because those are the companies that are doing very well. They're increasing their earnings. For example, you can look at healthcare. Hologic is an example of a healthcare company that uh, makes uh, diagnostic equipment, uh, imaging products, and they are actually increasing their gross profit. Uh, it moved from about 55% a few years ago up to about 64%, but they're also increasing their earnings. Earnings are increasing about 28% since the end of the year. So if those are the types of companies you're looking for, is there an environment right now where you feel as though there are certain companies that are not fitting in terms of those characteristics that you would stay away from? What's the place in the market right now that scares you the most, Igus? The one that scares me the most would be just around the consumer discretionary, because as you talked about earlier in the show, inflation is starting to impact the consumer. And if you have a company or you're looking at investments that depends on that discretionary spend, those are the companies that may have difficulty going into the uh, next couple of years. So if that's the case and that's going to be the fear and we do have those consumers paying higher prices, the Fed becomes a huge part of this discussion. We got the meeting minutes yesterday. We know that there's kind of this battle, this campaign to really tackle what's happening with inflation right now. Is the consumer going to be in a strong enough position to prop up this economy? Or in your mind, do we need to have that mildish recession in order to reset things for that consumer balance sheet? What we're seeing is that because that's really centers around the question, are we at peak inflation? We don't believe we're at peak inflation because of two things that you talked about earlier, food inflation and energy inflation. We see that in the next 12 months increasing. So the consumer will be impacted uh, going forward in the near term. Now, if that's the case, let's talk about whether or not you feel as though the market is in this kind of a bottoming process. Or are you once, I guess, are you, do you figure that this is going to be an opportunity where people can so-called dollar cost average in, kind of leg into the market? Or do you feel as though there's another downdraft to come? What is your base case, Degas? Yeah, Dom, it's really difficult to call the bottom. So what we're focusing on is, is buying those quality companies. If you have a quality company, you want to buy it. And plus, you want to look at your time horizon. If your time horizon is three years or more, you could definitely get into this market. However, if you have a shorter time horizon, say you have college tuition or a down payment on a home within the next, say, 12 months, you want to look at maybe some less risk in your portfolio. All right. Degas Wright, thank you very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it, sir. Have a good day. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage. Futures are improving right now. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 100 points. Squawk Box is coming up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.